0: there and happy summer. Welcome to another episode of One Life. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. Our mission at One Life is to inspire you to take risks, dream big and to live your life on purpose.
1: We hope
2: you're all enjoying a wonderful summer break full of laughter and rest and memory making with those you love most. Those are definitely some of our biggest goals this summer as well, which is why for the month of July, we're throwing it back each week to some of our very favorite episodes from season one. This week, we're revisiting the wonderful conversation we had with everyone's favorite Enneagram expert, Miss Suzanne Stabile.
1: I kind of wanted a couple of years ago to go ahead and fold it all up and have Joe and I go live in a rural setting somewhere close by so we could be around. All of our children and grandchildren are in the Metroplex. So we could be close to them, but kind of just read and look at water and hang out with each other. And we just said, you know, I, I just don't think that's our call. And I think if we're not faithful, we won't be happy because we won't have peace.
2: Uh, I could listen to Suzanne all day long. If you've been winning a free 101 of the Enneagram, this is about as good as it gets.
0: Suzanne has been teaching the Enneagram for over 25 years. She's written several incredible books like The Road Back to You and currently The Path Between Us. Yep.
2: In today's episode, you'll hear a little bit more of Suzanne's incredible story, a basic overview of the Enneagram, and a description of the nine types. And we also dive into how the Enneagram can help us grow in our relationships with each other and with God. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Whatever your understanding is of the Enneagram, whether extensive or you're brand new to it, you're absolutely going to fall in love with it today and with Suzanne as well. She is truly amazing. Welcome to your new obsession, my friends. <laughs> here's Suzanne. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for being here today. It is such an honor to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. It's my honor, too.
0: Well, for our listeners who don't know you yet, would you kind of just take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do?
1: Sure. I'm 67, so I might have to take two minutes. But- <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're just getting started. I
2: have all You're the minutes you want. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: There's a lot there. <laughs> Um, I was born uh, in 1950 in Floydada, Texas, which is uh, at the bottom of the panhandle in the South Plains. And actually, I was adopted by the doctor who delivered me and his wife. And oh. um, yeah, it's a, a, I must have been really an adorable newborn because yeah, right? they had biological sons who were 18 and 15 and had not ever discussed adoption. And uh, my dad was up all night at the hospital delivering me and taking care of me and my birth mother. And literally the next morning at coffee, he said to my mom, I, I think we should adopt this baby. So um, I was in Floyd Aida until I graduated from high school and went to SMU. And my life dream was to coach college women's basketball. So I started coaching a high school team when I was still in college. And ultimately I was the first women's basketball coach at SMU after
0: title IX.
1: Wow. Wow. So neat. So what
0: year was that? When was that?
1: 77. Uh, okay. okay. Way back. Wow. <laughs> so neat. In those days, there was no funding for women's athletics sure, much. Sure. So I ended up because I so wanted to have children after my first child was born, I um, tried that for a couple of years and thought, you know, this isn't going to work. So I had taught at a Catholic high school before I got that job. And I went back to that school and taught senior theology and had kids. And we had two foster kids, and then I had three. And I was in a very complicated marriage. Uh, Lots of people in the 60s had lots of complicated issues around relationships, I think, which might be one of the reasons I've been interested always in how relationships work, and ended up working with a priest in the Dallas area, starting life in the Trinity Ministries in the Catholic Church. And after three or four years of us working together, he decided to leave the priesthood, not because of me. Um, He says God called him into the priesthood, and he knows that God called him out of the priesthood. And he asked me on a date and took me to Chili's. (laughs)
3: Yeah, (laughs) That's Um, romantic.
1: It was very, at 40, I was his first date. So um, yeah, he still wants to go to a drive-in movie. And I I keep telling him it's really not that great. But (laughs) he's he's still all about that being something he's missed from his formative years. Uh. So for the last 30 years, he's been a United Methodist pastor. And um, we've been working in life in the Trinity Ministries. And I uh, learned the Enneagram from Father Richard Rohr, who is a dear friend of ours and was our spiritual mentor at the time. And he encouraged me to study it for five years without talking about it. And um, I did that, which is the ninth wonder of the world. Are, are there eight?
3: That's hard. Did you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Never It's
1: Tuesday. I'm telling you, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I guess I did it because I trusted him so much. Um, And then I started teaching. I've been teaching for 25 years. So I've been doing the Enneagram for a long time. Joe and I have four children. He adopted my three and we had a fourth. And we have seven grandchildren and an eighth on the way. And I'm crazy in love with him.
3: That's
1: awesome. He's the best human being I've ever met. And so living with him is um, quite a gift every day. And it's challenging. I'm a little feistier than most pastors' wives. And (laughs) he's taught me uh, most of what I know about being faithful. Hmm. So I kind of wanted a couple of years ago to go ahead and fold it all up and have Joe and I go live in a, rural setting somewhere close by. So we could be around all of our children and grandchildren are in the Metroplex. So we could be close to them, but kind of just read and look at water and Mm -hmm. hang out with each other. And he just said, you know, I I just don't think that's our call. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're not faithful, we won't be happy because we won't have peace. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're happy and we have peace and we're tired. (laughs)
3: Everything's
2: good. Oh, that's amazing. Gosh, I relate to so many things you said, Suzanne. I am also married to my favorite human being on the planet, and it is such a gift. Chris is the same. You know, he's just the best human that I know. So I feel the same way. And I'm also a feisty pastor's wife. So Mm -hmm. I. There you go. I'm very excited to hear you say that as well. But we are just so honored to have you here today. We're huge fans of you and your work and of the Enneagram. And, you know, there's so many great personality tests out there. We love so many of them. But the Enneagram, there's just something magical about it. Um, I went to Belmont University in Nashville and studied it there years ago and just fell in love with it. When you hear the descriptions of the types, you just that you feel like somebody jumped inside your head. <laughs> And you're like, how did they know that about me? How did they know that? So for those of our listeners who are new to the Enneagram, would you just take a second and give a brief overview of the Enneagram kind of as a whole, and then give just a brief description of each type?
1: Sure. I'm happy to do that. I, I do want to start by saying that I'm not a big fan of the tests.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think in our experience, which is quite extensive, they're wrong an awful lot of the time after people hear their number taught orally. And I think that's because your Enneagram number is determined by motivation for behavior and not by your behavior. Okay. So that's also a reason why we should not assign numbers to other people. Because unless we know people really well, we don't know what motivates them to do what they do. So to the people who say, "Ah, we all do the same things, that's true. To the people who say we're all the same, that's not true because our motivation for what we do is so different. Right. So the Enneagram is at least 3,000 years old, maybe older, and it was an oral tradition until the 1970s. And essentially, it describes nine ways of seeing and nine ways of processing how you see and what you see and deciding what you're going to do with the information that you've taken in. And the idea that we all see the same thing, if we're experiencing the same thing in real time, is simply not accurate. And so most of our relationship problems and certainly most of our disconnect has to do with not seeing what other people see because of our Enneagram number. When I first started teaching, I've been teaching for 25 years, but when I first started teaching, there was a lot of discussion around whether or not it was genetic predisposition or environment that determined your Enneagram number. And in the last 10 years or so, it uh, has kind of become common language among Enneagram masters who have been teaching for a long time that genetic predisposition probably is the greater cause or the greater reason why we are the number that we are. So you're the same number all your life. Uh, For people who think that the Enneagram is reductive, I would actually say, I think it's expansive. And for people who say, I don't want to be put in a box or we shouldn't put people in a box, my response to that has always been that I'm just showing you the box that you're already in.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's great.
1: So I think it, in terms of language that most people are familiar with, I think we could say that the Enneagram is Myers-Briggs on steroids. It's like, (laughs) it's so much more. And the reason it's so much more is because out of all the systems that are like it, uh, strength finders or DISC or whatever you use, out of all those systems, the Enneagram is the one that has a spiritual component. And the Enneagram is also the one that shows you what you can do to be healthier than you are, to make better choices than you make. And that's why I love it so much.
2: I love that. That's awesome.
1: So I I think in encouraging people to learn about the Enneagram, I would say that I get literally hundreds of letters from people saying it changed their marriage, it changed their relationship with their adolescent children, so much of that. Yeah, that's amazing.
2: So would you just describe briefly each number? I know that's hard and we could just sit here forever and talk about each one extensively, but just kind of give a brief overview of each one. Because I know people listening are going to hear that and immediately identify with one of them.
1: Sure. I'll be as brief as I can, which is really hard for me. So (laughs) you guys owe me because generally... when I teach a Know Your Number workshop, I teach each number for 40 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So uh, since you haven't invited me to be nine podcasts, I'll just <laughs> I'll run through them.
2: Okay. Okay. All right. We'll have you back on to do more for sure. Okay. Yeah. I would love that.
1: All yeah. right. Ones are called the perfectionist, and that's because of the way they see. When ones walk into a room, they see what's wrong, mm-hmm. and they feel like it's their responsibility to make it right, and that includes whether or not things hanging on the wall are crooked and whether or not things are orderly, but it also includes how people do life and how people uh, respond to life and injustice. Ones are people who struggle with anger. Uh, You know, the anagram numbers are all associated with a passion or a sin, and it's the seven deadly sins plus two. I'm not Sure, why Evagrius Ponticus woke up one morning and thought, we need two more sins. (laughs) Yeah. Be able to cover everything. Yeah. But it worked well for the Enneagram.
2: Nice.
1: So ones struggle with anger. I would kind of rename that resentment because ones are angry with themselves first. Mm. And when they can't hold all the frustration they feel about the imperfection in the world and the anger they have toward themselves, then they are angry. Twos on the Enneagram are called the helper or the giver, and they walk into a room and see who needs something or who they might be able to help. And that sort of sounds so holy, doesn't it? It's all, it happens to be my number, but
3: um, interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, but let me just say that twos in being givers often give to get. Mm. And that's subconscious very often, but what they're trying to get is place like they think you won't want them Mm. if they aren't able to sense and meet your needs. So that's kind of how they make their way in the world. And twos struggle with feelings. Actually, they seem to be people who have lots of feelings and who are in touch with their feelings, but they feel what other people feel. Mm. And they struggle if you ask them what they're feeling or what they need. Um, threes on the Enneagram are called the performer and Enneagram masters have assigned Enneagram numbers to countries. I live in Dallas and Dallas is definitely a three city. And so we're a three city in a three country. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Yikes. And because we all, (laughs) yeah, because we all live in a three country here in the United States, we all have some three in us. And that has to do with image crafting threes are really good at crafting the right image for whatever audience they're with. From their perspective, they're just trying to give you what they think you want from them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're people who cut corners and they're good salespeople and they are trendy and politically savvy people. And they too are disconnected from their feelings because they find feelings to be messy and unpredictable. So they take in information with feelings, but then they set them aside right away because they could get in the way of handling business. Fours are the most complex number on the Enneagram. I think there are fewer fours than any other number. So I run into a lot of people who don't know a four well. And fours are called the romantic. And I think what they want most is to be known and to be understood but they are committed to being authentic. So often fours are in are, are members of subcultures. You remember the kids who were called goth kids about
3: yeah. 15
1: years ago, you know, or yes. 20 they had. Uh, I went to the mall one day. Those kids were always hanging out at the mall. And I just went to the mall and I walked up to a group of them and I said, if I buy you dinner, will y'all just answer like a hundred questions for me? And they all said, sure. That's a fun Yeah. I
2: love
1: that. (laughs) I I took them to the food court and I bought what they wanted for dinner. And then I just asked them questions because I thought they would all be fours. And they were. And uh, I said, why are you guys dressed like that? And they said, well, there are two reasons. And one is we so desperately don't want to be like everybody else. Hmm. And the other was, so this is before MySpace, much less before Facebook or Mm -hmm. anything. And those kids didn't go to the same school. So when they dressed the way they did, they knew they could find one another. And they knew they could be in relationship with one another because uh, they saw the world uh, differently than other numbers do. So I, I think fours are very complex, but they're also the people who pull out deeper feelings from the rest of us. You know, you you give a four something from a depth you don't give to other numbers. And Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, particularly for those of us who are in ministry, fours are the only number on the Enneagram that can bear witness to pain without having to fix it. So they are underutilized in our churches Mm -hmm. because they're the people who can sit with you in pain. Right. Yeah, that's so good. Fives on the Enneagram are called the observer. And they are observers, but it's because they have, they have a measured amount of energy. So fives wake up every morning with the same amount of energy. And every encounter they have during the day takes some of that energy from them. So they kind of have learned to pace themselves so they can get home and back to their more private world before they run out of energy. And we refer to them, because we don't know the Enneagram, as aloof or distant. And they're just trying to measure out this energy because it's like manna. You you can't save up from the day before. You get an allotted amount every day, and when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. Fives are uh, head people, so they think they can work out everything in their heads. And they're the only number that's really capable of neutrality. So they can be in the middle of something and really not have a side. Hmm. My mom was a five and they're very loyal and very dependable. And they would never tell your personal stories without your permission. They hold things well. Hmm. And I think fives are inventors. They're the people who want to know what makes something work. So I bet you if we went to the patent office in D.C., we'd find that there were lots of fives who had invented things that we all benefit from. Right. I'm from a school of thought that believes that probably about half of the people on the globe are sixes on the Enneagram. And sixes have different names. They prefer to be called the loyalist. I'm not terribly happy with that description because (laughs) there are other numbers that are equally loyal but sixes don't like to be called the devil's advocate. And that's one name for them. I prefer that because sixes are yes, but people. And they're yes, but people because they don't trust themselves. So they don't trust you either because they don't, they haven't found people to be trustworthy. And they are people who are going through life looking for courage. Uh, And I try to teach them that what they need to be looking for is faith, that courage won't give them what they need, but believing in something bigger than them will give them what they need. Sevens are called the epicure on the Enneagram. And that means simply that they take delight in the best possibilities. Mm. And sevens are the people that we all like to be with because they're fun and funny. And they tell me that they wish people knew their deeper side, that people don't seem to be interested in what's beneath the original way that they engage with us using humor and common interest and things like that. It's interesting to me, I'm, I'm going to, if we have time, I want to come back and talk about the difference in essence and personality. Yeah. But I want to use sevens as an example to say that we like sevens for who they are in their personality. And when they start to do a deeper spiritual journey, we kind of ask them to be who they used to be. So we're not good at supporting that journey in sevens. Eights are the most aggressive number on the Enneagram, and they are leaders, and they're strong, and they know themselves by what they're against instead of by what they're for. Um, Eights are people who don't generally make friends at work because they don't trust people to not betray them, so they have a few friends that they hang out with, and they're collegial at work but their friends are usually outside of where they work. We culturally really still love male eights. They're quick and smart and quick to lead and big in the room. And we all like that. And you put the same gifts in a female eight. And she's pretty much culturally referred to as a bitch, which is Mm -hmm. very hard for female eights. Uh, Girls on college campuses come to me to talk to me about that almost everywhere I teach. And they say, you know, people don't even get to know me.
3: Mm.
1: So that's tricky. And nines are peacemakers. So nines are people who the way they see is they see two sides of everything. You know, on every level in Enneagram work, the best part of you is also the worst part of you. Or the worst part of you is also the best part of you. So we can't truncate ourselves. You have to embrace all of you because the best part of you is also the worst part of you. So the best part of nines is they see two sides to everything. And the worst part of nines is that they see two sides to everything.
3: Right.
1: So they're great mediators, but it's hard for them to make decisions.
2: Mm. Thank you so much. I know that was tough to yeah. <laughs> really boil each one down to just a couple of minutes. And we could spend all day talking about each one. But for time's sake, maybe just pick a couple that you could share about what your very favorite thing is about them. And then maybe just like you said, that also posing as an obstacle as well.
1: Gosh, it's hard to pick. So I, I, (laughs) I think I want to pick the numbers that I think are the least understood. Okay, that'd be great. So my favorite thing about fours is their commitment to authenticity and the fact that so many fours are in art forms, but not all. And um The obstacle for them is that they just don't want to sell out and they really don't want to be like everybody else, but they envy people who have a normal life. That's what they would say. They don't like anything that's average or normal, but they envy the fact that other people seem to be so comfortable in the world and people don't seem to run into the complexities of making their way in the world. And I think one of the reasons that I I choosing that as one of the numbers is because I think children who are fours are often children who are misunderstood and therefore not included. Mm. and I think everybody on the planet wants two things everybody wants belonging and everybody wants their life to have meaning. Mm. and I think fours struggle to find belonging because they're different from the rest of us and they want to hold on to that uniqueness because it's defines them. So I have lots of respect for them too. Um, and I think the other number I'll pick, which is, I think this maybe the most misunderstood number is eight. Eights are justice oriented and they happen to be people on the Enneagram who will maybe have 10 deep, close friendships in a lifetime. So they're not easy to get to know. Uh, they're future oriented. They're big picture thinkers, but they are real good at worrying about the common good. Eights and sixes are worried about the common good. And I don't think we have enough of that going on. Mm. And I think uh, as children, culturally, we don't like little girls who are bossy or little girls who take charge. That's not okay with us. And I think they struggle with that. And male eights culturally are encouraged to be more of what they are and they lose their tender side in being stronger and bigger and stronger and louder. And so I I think they get a kind of a hard push there.
0: Those are great. I wish we had more time so we could unpack all of them. But, you know, Jenny and I mentioned at the beginning of our time together that like your books and what you've been doing has deeply impacted us. You know, the road back to you was so good and so powerful. I actually literally took my entire team through it. And we didn't do the test thing that you talked about. We literally had, I had my whole staff and I said, everybody pick a number and we're gonna teach each other each one of these numbers. And then out of that, people were able to determine what their number was. Mm -hmm. And it was just a great exercise for us to all kind of understand each other. Well, that being said, you have a brand new book called The Path Between Us. And it actually is out right now and people can get it. And so I want you to tell us, if you can, how did this book came to be and and what really is your hope that folks will get out of it?
1: Oh, thanks for asking that question. I love it so much. If I had given you a question to ask me, it would be that one.
2: Oh, great. (laughs) I'd love to hear that. (laughs) So,
1: um, I want to back up and just say that I think Ian Cron and I in The Road Back to You wrote a really good primer for people to learn their number. I really believe in that book and I'm really proud of it. From that, I don't want the Enneagram to be cocktail talk or water cooler talk. I don't want a lot of number thumping, is what Ian Crine calls it. (laughs) I I don't want people walking around haphazardly saying, I'm a two, what number are you? I, I think it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. so relationships is my thing, and it's my thing in part because I'm a two on the Enneagram, but it's also my thing, I think, because I'm an adopted child, and growing up, uh, my parents had two biological children who looked like them, and I didn't look like anybody, so I spent my childhood trying to figure out who I acted like in my journey to find belonging. And so I've been watching how people act for a long time. And I think there is a path between all of us that connects us. And if we learn to walk the path toward somebody and meet somewhere along the way, I think we can stop much of the rhetoric that is sarcastic and cynical and a put down and unloving because we'll have the tool of understanding. So when I teach a basic workshop, which I call a know your number workshop, when I teach that workshop, I say to everybody, I think at the end of the day, you'll leave knowing your number because I'm pretty good at this. However, (laughs) if you don't leave knowing your number, I can guarantee that you will leave more compassionate. Mm. And I think we're really lacking compassion. Mm. So the path between us is about the differences in our numbers. It's about what we have in common. And it's a very practical book because at the end of each chapter, kind of tells you how you need to treat that number if you want to be in relationship with them. And it talks about from that number's perspective how they need to be mindful of how they come across to other people. So it's um, kind of a handbook. I hope people will keep their own. It'll be good for book sales, but I also hope that they write in it and that they spend a lot of time thinking before they interact with somebody else, both at work and at home and during the holidays with our families that are extended families. And I think it's... um, A game changer in families, in churches, and in corporate structures, if people will use it. And I know that sounds a little lofty, but I actually think it's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you say that you don't want to be water cooler talk because I think there really has kind of caught this momentum in the last few years and those who maybe have encountered it or or have a little bit more than the average person's knowledge. It really can turn into this like, oh, I'm a seven, you're a two, and now you're definitely a one, (laughs)
3: yeah,
0: <laughs> and, and you're right. That could be very dangerous to try and label someone else or even even maybe have a conversation with somebody that doesn't even know what the heck you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and so I love this book. as kind of that next step beyond the road back to you and helping understand the different types and how they relate to each other in relationship. I was wondering if you could take a second and just kind of maybe give us a couple examples, maybe some great pairings or some difficult ones, maybe how a seven and a one interact <laughs> With each other. Just if you to, need
1: just, a hypothetical. That's just, a one,
0: that's just one of those out there, you know, whatever.
1: Okay, so I'll do you guys, and okay. then, and then oh, I'll. Yeah, that sounds great. Great. And then I'll talk about Joe and me.
3: Oh, there perfect. You go. Yeah. Perfect. All right.
1: So, let, seven and one. First of all, you share a line on the Enneagram. So, that's a good thing because right. that means that based on stress and security, you, you each have experience from the behavior of the other person's perspective. Mm hmm. Um, ones take things in life very seriously. They struggle to like themselves because they have this voice that tells them they're not doing things right. Sevens like themselves a lot.
0: (laughs) A whole lot. Man, so much. Man,
1: that is true. Uh, And not only do sevens like themselves, but they, they don't feel any need to be like other people. They're not measuring their behavior. So if you just took somebody who's trying to do everything right and somebody who's really trying to enjoy life and you put that together, then it keeps the seven from enjoying life thoughtlessly or without keeping other people in mind or without a routine so that everything gets done. Mm -hmm. But if you add some seven gifts to the one's world, then seven's expectations for other people are not terribly high. They don't really want you to be perfect. Uh, They want you to be content because that's what they're looking for for themselves. And if a one was to say to a seven, I did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong today, and I feel terrible about myself, a seven would say, don't be silly. Look at all these things that you did right. Mm -hmm. And sevens add some levity and some lightheartedness to a one's life. I hear a lot about sevens and ones as parents, and I think parenting is tricky for those two numbers together. And so I think the path between them is the place to agree on parenting, on the big pieces of parenting. And I think it's good for children to experience the seriousness of a one and the frivolity of a seven. Sevens are very creative. And so they pull ones out of that place of, we need to do it the way we've done it before, because we know it works. And sevens say, let's do it this way. This is a new and different way. And I promise you, it'll be a good way. And you know, we sevens are so charming. We kind of fall into their charm, no matter what our number is. And we're willing to try things we maybe wouldn't try.
2: So true. Gosh.
1: The, the only other thing I want to say about that for people who might be a one is that I really encourage ones to leave town away from home for 24 hours a month, minimum, mm-hmm. because ones are responsible for perfecting everything in their world. And until they go somewhere else, they don't know about this space where the voices aren't so prevalent.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I, I think seven and one is a, I think every number with every number can work. The goal is for all of us to try to be healthy. Right. And, you know, in terms of healthy and average and unhealthy, uh, we're moving up and down that all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a one and seven, because you share a line on the Enneagram, can help pull one another back to that healthy place.
3: That's good.
1: That's great. Um, Joe and I, Joe's a nine and I'm a two. And uh, we don't share a line on the Enneagram. And we are both other referenced. And that has been a struggle for us for all of our years together. We're both in ministry and we both tend to put other people ahead of ourselves. So we have to really work on priorities. We have to be very clear about what our priorities are. And we have to use that to make our decisions about how we're going to live our lives or our days. Joe is on staff at a really big church. I travel a lot and teach. And even though our children have left home, there's still a tendency in us to uh, not keep enough time for home time for Joe and me and for working on our relationship and enjoying being with one another. So uh, we each have our different ways of putting boundaries around ourselves. One of the best things about our two numbers is that we're peace loving. We neither one like conflict. Joe can't stand it, which means I usually win. (laughs) And in terms of our parenting styles, I would say that I always said no to the big things because I was concerned about the children. Joe said no to the little things because he was concerned about our family structure and finances and all those things. But the children figured out who to go to for what. And I think I I might have said something about this about you guys, too. I think we need to be in agreement in parenting about the big stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think it's good for children to have two different parents who see the world differently. And I don't think it's bad for them to know which one to go to to get what they want. And I think the difference in us as parents lends itself to disagreement, which I think children need to observe. So, bottom line is, Joe and I do great together. I think that's in part because he's such a good human being. But I, I, and I'm not bad. And I also think uh,
2: you're not bad at all. As a
0: seven, I'm going to tell you you're great. You are so. Thank great. you,
1: thank you. And there's a seven-one response right there. As yeah. a seven, I'm great. And from the one, I'm not. I'm not too bad. So all's well. <laughs> No, I I just think uh, if you're really alike, you have to manage that, right? And we have to manage yeah. that. That's so, so good.
0: good. You know, as I'm I'm listening to you specifically when you you were talking about like the parenting side of things. You know, I think for all of us, no matter where we come from, I think faith plays such a huge part in our life in, in our family and our parenting and I, I just want to hear from you like I'm sure there's numbers that struggle more with with faith and you know in our context it's, it's Jesus right that's the foundation we're Christians of what we do in our life and so I don't know I, I'd love to hear how the dynamic of faith have you seen that play out inside of the Enneagram and not necessarily you have to dive into a number but I'd just love to hear your position on that.
1: Okay thanks that's another question I love. I never apologize regardless of my audience because I come from a Christian context and because that's where I live my life.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. I don't know how people do life without community and without believing in something or someone bigger than them. Mm -hmm. And I think the Enneagram enhances our ability to be good community members. The thing that I would say, and I am going to talk about one number, I think sixes, because their passion or their sin is fear. And because the tradition I come from and through believes that a high percentage of anagram numbers are sixes. Hmm. I think we are currently living in a world where fear is used to manipulate people. And I think it's immoral to manipulate people using fear. And one of the reasons for that is because I believe for Jesus the opposite of love is not hate but fear. Mm-hmm. And I think the gospel is filled with reasons that we should not be afraid. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting a little preachy but I want to say one more thing about that. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that I have a really good practice for sixes that has become a good practice for everybody. And that is that I encourage adults who are really struggling with their faith life to get three big pieces of butcher paper and hang them on a wall in their home side by side and leave them for six weeks. So it's difficult for ones to do that, but you can just cut it off real even yes. on the bottom and <laughs> put it. stressing right. me out. Yeah, I know, about it. I know, I know. It's, it's <laughs> tricky. But it's really valuable because what I ask them to do is for the first two weeks, I ask them to just write down the belief system they grew up with. What was the belief system of the church you grew up in or your family or the community you were in? What was everybody for and what was everybody against? And then leave that up. And for the next two weeks on the middle piece of butcher paper, put down the system that you're a part of now and what the beliefs are, and what you're surrounded by. And then the last two weeks, write down what you believe. And I think there are numbers that haven't re-examined what they believe since they were children, because they're dependent numbers. So that would be ones and twos and sixes. And to stand on a belief system, you have to own it. You have to be able to wear it. And it can't be somebody else's. So because my husband is a preacher and because he knows the Enneagram, people often ask him if we're right, and a high percentage of people are sixes, then what do they need to hear? And Joe's response as a pastor is that they need to hear that they need to trust their own experience of God and not somebody else's experience of God. That's good. Yeah, I think it's real good. Yeah.
3: Real
1: <laughs> good. Real good. That's,
3: Real good. that's yeah.
2: awesome. Okay, we could talk with you forever. Suzanne. <laughs> I would Oh run. my gosh. Yes. Well, any other question we didn't ask that you are wanting us to ask?
1: <laughs> I would just say this. I think with technology and social media and the pace of our culture, I think relationships are threatened by technology and social media and sound bites and political rhetoric. And I don't know a better tool for building our way back to healthy relationships than the Enneagram. I think uh, once we can accept our difference, we can find what we hold in common. And that is what gets me on an airplane week after week to go teach somewhere when I really kind of love being at home with Joe. Because I believe the Enneagram can make a difference uh, in how we see ourselves and how we see our relationship to God and in how we see our relationship with other people. So good.
0: So good. good. Well, thank you. All right. Well, we are going to land the plane. (laughs) and We're going to ask you three questions. We love to ask every single one of our guests, and they go a little bit like this. What's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what advice would you give to the younger youth? Maybe that 20-year-old you. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, so what's a book that changed your life?
1: Uh, just one.
0: Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's so hard, right? Uh, so here's one. Callings by Greg Lavoie. Okay. And the reason is because Richard Rohr taught Joe and me that the best protection from the next word of God is the last word of God.
3: Mm.
1: And I know that Joe was supposed to be a Catholic priest, but I also know that Joe is supposed to have spent the last 30 years as my husband and a Methodist pastor and the, the father of our four children and the grandfather of seven. And Callings is a book that is all about all the ways that the Holy Spirit might call you. And maybe you're not listening. Maybe you're not listening to all the ways that God in God's magnificence could call us. And I think everybody wants to be called and everybody wants to discern what to do next. And that book helps. And of course, the path between us, writing a book changes your life. Okay, I'm done with those three. Sorry. (laughs) That was a lot of cheating. I'm sorry. That's all right. That's all right. All right. A a habit that changed my life uh, is centering prayer. I do a 20 minute sit every day. Nice. And I sometimes do, too. Um, I find that 20 minutes of silence and trying to be present, little P to the presence, big P, uh, Mm -hmm. are present to God, uh, settles me down a little bit. And sometimes I have to do another one about 4.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) Um, And advice that I would give to a younger me, because I'm a two on the Enneagram, would be that while I'm trying to take care of everybody else, I really would need to be intentional about taking care of me too. That's so good. That is
3: great.
2: Yeah, we actually just had a two on the Enneagram last week, and she said the same thing when we asked her that question, what advice would you give yourself at a younger age? She said the same thing. So wow. that's so interesting.
0: Yeah, That's so good. Well, I mean, this has been amazing. So great. So, so, Dan, so great. Thank you so
2: much for coming on and sharing your story and your wonderful wisdom about the Enneagram and just about life and faith.
0: Absolutely. And so I know, I mean, I love that you're traveling and this message is getting out there. And I just want to encourage you to, when when you go, okay, I'm getting on another airplane. I know you got the own motivation yourself but i just want to encourage you what you're doing is truly making an impact in Absolutely. so many people's lives and so we can't thank you enough for that and i yeah. want to say this how can people find you or can they buy the book where where can they find, they find you? you what what's a way for them to get in touch and follow what you're doing all
1: right well our website is lifeinthetrinityministry.com and that has my teaching schedule and joe's i am on facebook and twitter and you can get me through Suzanne Stabile or Aniagram Sue's on Twitter. Um, our ministry center is in Dallas, and we have events here that I would love for people to come to. But I literally teach all over the country, and that too is found on our website. The Path Between Us, uh, you can buy on Amazon or from Intervarsity Press or uh, at Barnes and Noble and independent bookstores. You can; it's there. You can find it. Awesome. And you have a podcast. You have a great podcast. Uh, The Enneagram Journey. And I am having so much fun doing that. I essentially talk to uh, one or two people at a time, mostly one person, about their number. And I try, uh, you guys are really good about letting me talk. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I try to do the same thing. I try really hard to let my guests talk and to ask good questions.
2: Yeah. I, I love your podcast. I just listened to the Dave Barnes
1: episode. It was incredible. Well, now he's something. He, he's yes. something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go see him in concert this Saturday. Yeah, he's
1: yeah. going to Dallas this week. Are you going to the show? I'm not, but you know, my son Joel is going. Oh, good. Um, yeah, it's the beginning of Holy Week, so Joe's gone most of next week. Okay. So I'm going to spend the weekend right here looking at him.
3: Oh, that's go. awesome.
0: That's great. Well, Suzanne, thank you so, so much. We look forward to the next time we get to do this. Absolutely.
1: Boy, I'll look forward to it too. You guys are really great. And come see us at the Micah Center here in Dallas. We'd love to have you. We would love to do that. That's it.
0: You better watch out. We're coming. We're coming for sure. Good. Good. (laughs) All right. right. Thank you, Suzanne.
1: (laughs) Bless you guys.
2: Thank you.
0: Well, it's an oldie but a goodie. I could listen to that one over and over and over
2: Yeah, she's so amazing. Guys, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And we've got some great ones coming up for the rest Mm -hmm. of the summer and into the fall. We're really excited about what's coming up for One Life.
0: Absolutely. And thanks again for listening. It really does mean a ton to us. If this episode blessed you, we would love it if you take a minute, subscribe, rate, and review. And share the podcast with someone in your life who needs some courage.
2: And as always, you can find all the info for today's episode over in our show notes at our website, onelife.works.
0: Well, that's a wrap for today. Hope you guys are having an amazing summer. Let's close it out like we always do. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.